Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you and whatever time you're tuning in. And should you find yourself in a time frame not at one of those designations, well, hello, 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 and hello to whatever time you are tuning in. The sound of my voice is your first clue. See, you've arrived at the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and this is episode number 50. I expected, potentially, some degree of fanfare, not just the planes flying overhead and the distant roar they create, adding to the otherworldliness of the spinner rack that we have all entered together. And yet, in the current climate, with so many of us sheltering in place, thinking about the time that we now get to spend indoors with loved ones, catching up, reading books, watching shows and movies, and spending that time that we so often are rushing through our lives, hoping to actually experience. And here we are with it now. And with that recognition, I've chosen for this episode number 50 to acknowledge that for all the possibilities, all of the milestones, all of the relevance that so often goes with 25, 50, 75, and beyond. There's also a quiet recognition for me that this is just something that continues on day after day, week after week, episode after episode. And the climate around us might change. The number of episodes that I am recording and you are listening to will continue to increase. But with it, I hope we'll maintain that always static, always consistent message that this is a place to go outside of the day-to-day, outside of the norm, outside of time, to that interdimensional spinner rack floating there somewhere in the ether. All of the books this week from DC Comics floating before you and five to choose. Five to read, five to enjoy, five to share, five to score, and then next week, five more. With this episode number 50, we are going to keep things as they've always been, bring you my top five books from DC Comics, just like every week, and at the end of it all, say goodbye and tune in next time. Perhaps 75 or 100 will offer up that, that flair, that wonderful sense of celebration. But right now, I'm thankful to be here recording for you, sharing with you, and persistently producing The Spinner Rack each and every week, no matter what is going on around us in the world. And kicking things off for us, this time around is the Robin 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular I was really happy to hear that much like Action Comics Detective Comics Wonder Woman The Flash before him Robin would also receive a 80th anniversary recognition 
And through that, we would get the chance to recognize, celebrate, and in my opinion, admire what Robin is, who he has come to represent, what he stands for, and why, in my opinion, he, uh, he is as valuable, if not in some cases more valuable, than the Batman who he supports as a sidekick, as a ray of light, as the hope and brightness that balances the dark vengeance that drives Batman each and every day, each and every night, in his quest to rid Gotham of the criminal element that took his parents. As many of these spectacular anniversary specials have been, this book is replete with legendary artists, legendary storytellers. And because of that, it's filled with a wonderful collection of stories. As I've mentioned last time around with The Flash, when it comes to these specials, aside from my one time with Detective Comics number 1000, which you can go back and read that one to see how well I did or did not pull it off, Instead of reading and reviewing and commenting on every story within one of these giant spectaculars, I've recently been focusing more on the first story. In this instance of The Flash, it had to do with continuing the current Flash storyline, and yet also, while doing so, reflecting on its role in that 750-issue spectacular. This is no different in regards to the celebration, but Robin doesn't currently have his own title. He's uh, in one variation as Tim Drake with Young Justice, and as another variation as Damian Wayne in Teen Titans. So for this 80th anniversary spectacular, each story is a one-shot, is a glimpse inside the character of Robin, and the first one on the list is a story titled A Little Nudge, written by Marv Wolfman, the uh, legendary co-creator of the Teen Titans. He's teamed up with Tom Grummet on pencils, Scott Hanna on inks, Adriano Lucas on colors, and Tom Napolitano providing the letters. The issue opens with a wild-eyed Zaz holding a captive in a church. And while Batman is going through his procedure to bring this to a safe conclusion, Robin senses that something is different. Dick Grayson, the first Robin, makes his move. And this later leads to a discussion verging on a disagreement in the Batcave while Dick stands in front of the newspaper clipping about the murder of his parents. The discussion is interrupted, and Batman and Robin, Dick and Bruce, head out to stop a crime at the Gotham Natural History Museum. And while there, they meet a family that's being held hostage, along with a young boy, who Dick does everything in his power to protect. And yet despite that, in the process of fighting the criminals, the young boy is wounded. Later. Robin and Batman have a discussion and it's important because Robin explains that when Batman 
suffered the great injustice of losing his parents in Crime Alley, he spent many years afterwards seeking revenge, looking for justice, and eventually finding it when he brought his parents' killer to justice. But Dick didn't go through that same long ordeal. In fact, within hours of the death of his parents, Batman had brought the killer to justice. The crime was solved, and Dick was given not only the closure in that moment, but the opportunity to charge ahead with a new direction as the ward of Bruce Wayne and in his eventual role as Robin. Now, because of that, what we're sensing from Robin, and I was, is the recognition that those character-defining moments are also what create the biggest clash between these two characters. And that while Robin has done a wonderful job, that Dick Grayson has created a mantle that others can carry on. It's no longer one that he can carry, and that he is his own man and must be moving out, moving forward. But in the final pages, there's a lovely reflection from Batman that I highly encourage you reading all the way through because it shows his approach to this story, what he has also been experiencing, witnessing, and coming to a decision about regarding Dick Grayson's future. And if or if not, it includes a continuing role as Robin. I like that this story shows two people who are so good at what they do, that when something is causing friction, conflict, or limiting that, they both have the objectivity, perhaps even the detective's logic, to stop and think about it and consider what's happening and what the most rational decision should be. Of course, there's emotions involved. Of course, there is a, a sense of loss and uh, of things changing, even when it seemed like there was a time that they might never change. And despite all that, what we discover is that both Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne were coming to the same realization from different approaches, and that at one point, one decided to keep his cards closer to his chest. This was a great way to kick off the spectacular. The stories that follow feature all of the legendary Robins, from the first Dick Grayson to Jason Todd, to Damian Wayne, Tim Drake, even an appearance by the Super Sons, and a Stephanie Brown story. If you're looking for a collection of great Robin stories that will make you remember all the wonderful things about how Robin has been that amazing character standing side by side fighting as an equal with Robin, then this is a book you should surely pick up and enjoy. And when you do, you'll see why it scored a 5 out of 5 for me and was my first choice on episode number 50 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Now what I like about starting out with this Robin 80th issue, 80th anniversary, sorry, spectacular, is that it's a perfect segue into my second choice for this episode, which is Nightwing number 70 in a story titled 
from the darkness written by dan jurgens with ryan benjamin providing the pencils scott hannah the inks rain Pareto with the colors and world design with the letters and mike perkins and jason wright providing the original cover with alan qua providing the variant cover while the legacy of robin has been carried by many representatives or members or followers the first was dick grayson and his evolution into the amazing superhero nightwing his role as the leader of the titans and his adventures as a solo crime fighter and also as a spy have cemented dick as one of the most amazing characters to come of age within the DC Comics universe. That all came to a crashing change when Dick was shot by the KG Beast, lost his memory, assumed the mantle and the name Rick Grayson, and began working as a cabbie, found a new love, could no longer connect with the Bat family that he didn't remember, and watched as his mantle of Nightwing was carried on by four successors, who did their best to protect Bloodhaven, keep the memory and legacy of Nightwing alive, and eventually recognize Rick Grayson as the cabbie, as they called him, as another member of the Nightwings. Rick eventually got his memory back. He still recalls and refers to himself as Rick, but he also knows that he has a life as Dick, and that he has two histories now. The history that he lived with Batman and the Bat family, and the false memories that were placed into his brain by Talon and under the direction of the Court of Owls. That conflict between these two memories is part of what is driving him now, but the story is also caught up with a few other issues. One, which was that the first Talon attacked the Nightwings, bloodied one of their members and put him in the hospital. And that in a crucial moment, Rick Grayson also put on the Talon costume and turned against the Nightwings. It was difficult for them to trust someone that they didn't know. And by not knowing, were unaware that he was the first Nightwing. And now, with the attack on their members and the feeling that his turning to a darker side means that he is no longer their friend or ally, is creating some tension within the ranks because they're not sure what to do. One of their own is hurting, and none of them could do much to stop the onslaught especially when it was turned on the rest of them, and the Nightwings were for the most part broken. How can they push on what is the next steps? Ordinarily, it might be a long road to recovery and a development that was a bit slower. But a villain from Dick Grayson's past, part of the Batman legacy, arrives sets his sights on the Nightwings, who he recognizes instantly as being pale imitations, 
And it's with this that the Joker War begins its slow march forward and will begin telling its tale, spinning its yarn throughout the many Batman titles in the coming months. But we get our first appearance here. We see his connection to the history of Robin, Nightwing, Dick Grayson, and how, unfortunately, this is only going to make things worse and more confusing and difficult for Nightwing and his relationship with the Nightwings and the trust that, at this time, has not been rebuilt. The wonderful joy and light of Dick Grayson as the young Robin is challenged now in his future, and I enjoy seeing his bright and hopeful beginnings and the struggles he faces now as an adult, much like we all do, when plans don't go our way, when some unexpected occurrence from outside of our sphere of expectation disrupts our lives, our path, our plan, and who we must become in response to that and who we will become. I think it is a story most of us who are adults can reflect and recognize, and those of us who are younger readers can look at as an example of the fact that no matter how good you might do at one point in your life, it doesn't mean you're necessarily spared from struggles later on. The struggles always continue, and it's the heroes who rise up to continue to face them that are the ones we continue to read, remember, recognize, and whose stories we continue to come back to because of all those wonderful things that they give us. And with that, it's time for a short break. We're going to go to some ads, catch up on all the great news going on here at DC Comics News, and the ways you can potentially be a part of it, and then come back for my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Hi everyone, I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it, here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast, it's audio justice. (laughs) No, 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 it's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the Knight. And welcome back. 
This is the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 50. I am your host, Seth Singleton. And after covering two books to lead things off and taking that short break, which we thank you, I thank you for coming back from, it's time to move into my third choice, then my fourth, then my fifth. You know how this goes. It's a series of succession. For that third choice, I went with Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen, issue number four. This has been a really fun story for me. I've enjoyed watching the Batman Who Laughs. Locke wills, if you will, with Lex Luthor, who has, in recent storytelling, become the Apex Luth, aligned with Perpetua, siding with Doom in the Justice versus Doom storyline in the Justice League. But recently... Apex Luther has had to deal with the Batman who laughs and the infection that he has been spreading among heroes and hopes to eventually spread throughout the world. An infection that attunes people to the dark multiverse, their darkest desires, impulses, their worst selves. We've seen it twist Supergirl, Billy Batson, uh, Jaime Reyes and so many others, even the non-powered, like Jim Gordon, and the way that his transformation has led to, well, a very intriguing storyline in the Batman Superman book that you've seen appear here on occasion. In Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen number four, the Batman Who Laughs is facing off against Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor and his minions are facing off against the Batman who laughs and all those infected with the dark multiverse poison. Lex makes a brilliant play by stripping the virus from the systems of the heroes, thereby removing them as allies from the Batman who laughs and then taking the Batman who laughs off world to a ship and there we see Perpetua. And Apex Lex appears and attempts to turn over the Batman who laughs, to offer up the solution to the problem, the one kink in their plans that he had struggled so much to solve and that now that he has unkinked it, he brings his prize like a proud cat to Perpetua who then listens as the Batman who laughs makes an argument that Apex Lex was never really up to the task and that it would be better for Perpetua to align herself with someone she never really saw coming. That the Batman who laughs has seen the cosmos and the way all of the universal tides rise, fall. And because of that, he sees what she cannot which is why she needs him as an ally. And he recommends ditching Apex Lex and getting a new partner. Lex is having none of it. And the conflict that ensues leads to a drastic decision on the part of Perpetua and also sets a new course for Lex Luthor and the ever-faithful Miss Mercy. What will the Batman who laughs in Perpetua 
potentially do in their new alliance. I have a feeling that this story is still working through some segueing or development chapters, and that soon we will see yet another epic charge as we did before when Perpetua and Apex Lex first made their move and the Justice League and the World's Heroes had to respond. I'm curious to see where we will see them popping up next and if that book will be on the DC Comics new spinner rack. That was my third choice, a really great five out of five book I encourage you to pick up. I recommend you read through and then share your thoughts with me and listen all the way to the end of the episode for the ways that you can do that. It's time now, though, for my fourth choice, and I'm happy to bring us back to a title I have come to love and love and share and laugh about, why I'm talking about Jimmy Olsen and the story Jimmy Gets a Clue. Now, we've had the same collaborative team offering up all of the wonder and joy that makes Jimmy Olsen such a fun series. For me, these 12 issues, of which we're now in the ninth, have been moving along with such a degree of uh, (laughs) frenetic energy that it's difficult sometimes to drop back in and remember all of the many little stories that fill each of these issues. Working the Wonders is the scribe Matt Fraction, with Steve Lieber providing the art, Nathan Fairburn with the chromatography, Clayton Cowles with the lettering, and overall, a really lovely book with a great variant a great original, and inside, a great story. It should be said that Jimmy Olsen has met a very interesting cast of characters who have done an amazing job making their appearances within these stories. And through that, we have seen so much of the ripe history of Jimmy Olsen come to life. So many of the overtly fantastical tales that made some of those stories from the 60s and 70s brilliantly weird, wonderfully wild, and also (laughs) full of these amazing characters that we now get to see appearing before us again. Among them is a porcupine armadillo man who I think I'm getting something of an understanding for. But the name Porcadillo simply doesn't roll off the tongue. But he's arrived now that he knows that Jimmy Olsen is in trouble. We get to see another brief appearance of Jim Corrigan, the detective, who likes to point out that he's not that Jim Corrigan of the Spectre relationship. And we have a lot of fun watching the little Olsons or Lil Olsons play around as young children and get a clue that perhaps Jimmy Olsen was not paying too much attention when he was informed 
of what his inheritance and eventual wealth would be. And why it surprises him to learn that someone very close to him might be the person who shot and killed that dummy mannequin look-alike and sent Jimmy wandering away from Metropolis to places like Gotham, where he simply wasn't and isn't welcome. The Porcadillo owes Jimmy his life, and as he meanders through the story, seeking out Jimmy Olsen, meeting Jim Corrigan, telling his story that we are learning through the wonderful adventures of the little Olsons, Jimmy Olsen faces off at a local school event with legendary Lex Luthor in a scene that feels like it's supposed to be out of Casino Royale and yet has all the wonderful absurdity of Jimmy Olsen. It's laughter, lighthearted banter, an obscure game of which I've never heard the name and could never understand the rules. Thankfully, neither does Jimmy, so I don't feel completely alone. But by the end of this story, I feel like the many threads of the mystery are beginning to pull themselves together. What exactly they're weaving on their loom and what the tapestry will look like when it's done is part of the joy that I've been able to share each time I read this book and bring it to you here on the spinner rack. I hope you experience the same if you've been reading Jimmy Olsen. If you haven't, while it might seem like a late stage of the game to jump on, when it comes to the wonderful weirdness that makes up the Jimmy Olsen books, you can jump into this one and much like we did on the first issue, feel just as lost. So what are you waiting for? Join the experience, let us know your thoughts, and let's see if Jimmy Olsen makes it back on the spinner rack in his remaining issues of this 12-issue maxi-series. I think this book was a great 5 out of 5, one I'm happy to share with you and proud to bring as a, a great discovery that I made, and I hope that you did too, and that you're enjoying it as much as I am. And that 5 out of 5 fourth choice brings us to our fifth and final book, which is Plunge, issue number 2, written by Joe Hill with art by Stuart Ibbenen, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Darren Bennett, a classic cover by Jeremy Wilson, and a variant cover by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. The Plunge is the story of right now at least. <laughs> it's begun with the story of a ship that was supposed to be lost at sea, suddenly discovered with a working emergency distress signal and a crew that sets out to discover just where this ship has been, why it has since returned, and anything else that will help explain what has been its reason for being gone for so long. At the end of the first issue, a shocking discovery of a body that looked dead, but appeared to be speaking at least to one of the characters named Moira. And how now with that discovery, a new mystery arises. How could a figure that appears to be horribly emaciated, 
if not dead for a very long time, be bleeding from a fresh wound that looks like an apparent suicide. What other mysteries are lurking out there in the distance? And we get a clue in one panel when a group of pale figures wearing matching jumpsuits with expressions that don't appear human and certainly don't appear to be normal are watching from the cover of the trees in the shrub line. There are other mysteries, such as why the coffee is so bad, who is the likely guilty party, and how does the rest of the crew feel about this grim discovery? Moira is embarrassed that she thought a dead person might have been speaking to her, saying something at the end of last issue. But in a conversation, she learns from someone else that maybe the person that she discovered didn't know they were dead, thought they were still alive. And we get one of those great stories about how when someone dies, a loved one goes into a room and discovers that person or their presence somewhere in the house where they all lived and how his discovery made him think that maybe this person, like the person from the story, didn't know they were dead, tried to go about living their normal life, following all of the routines they normally would, only to then come to the final realization that death is now the plane on which they exist. The story continues with so many wonderful elements of fear and shock. There are two discoveries made underwater, one that appears to be a sea creature, but unlike any that I have ever seen. And from the responses and conversation of those who witness it, not one they've ever seen either. Another is made by Moira, who, for whatever reason, believes that her search should require casting all caution to the wind, and that when she wants something that's located just offshore, she has no fear wading out into the water, and when making a discovery, submerging herself beneath that water to see what lies beneath. What does lie beneath? Well, this is a great mystery, somewhat horror comic from that Joe Hill house line. And for me to give away that mystery, that clue, that discovery would be to take away something from the wonderful experience you get to have as a reader. What I will say is, if these first glimpses beneath the surface offer any insight into the future of this story, those insights appear to be haunting and harrowing. And for me, uh, it means a book that I will probably pick up, whether my budget allows or not, and I look forward to the chances to share it with you in upcoming issues, not only of the book, but in episodes here on the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. 
That was my fifth and final choice, a really great five out of five book and a wonderful way for me to wrap up my 50th episode. I'm really thankful to be here, to be recording with you, to share these books with you, and I look forward to always hearing, reading, listening to your responses. It's been a great journey and one that I'm looking to sharing for at least another 50 episodes maybe more but i can't do it without you and what i love is to hear your thoughts your opinions your takes your insights and maybe your arguments for whether or not the books i made were the best choices available that week what i might have missed or why you didn't agree with one of the books i've chosen and because i want you to reach out and let me know what you're thinking. You can find me on all the social media platforms, and you can also find DC Comics News, The Spinner Rack, and all the other lovely programs available for you to reach out and contact on your favorite social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. Just use the at symbol DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, EWS, and that'll give us a heads up that you're trying to let us know what you're thinking, what you're asking, what you want us to hear. You can also find me personally as One More Singleton on Twitter or anywhere else within the internet world. Just use my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story, or, you know, whatever you want. I'm not going to hold you to any expectations. If this is your first episode, or if you weren't aware, allow me to let you know that DC Comics News is now on all the major podcast platforms. So whether you enjoy streaming from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play, you can catch all the great content from DC Comics News on those platforms, and maybe more. Got one we haven't included? Use one of those social media platforms I just mentioned, the at DC Comics News handle, and let us know where we should be letting others know to find us. And if you haven't yet, please head over, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. We love to know that we've got something you want to hear more of. And we'd hate for you to miss out on all of the great offerings available on the DC Comics News podcast. See, it's not just about the spinner wreck. For me, I also am lucky enough to join a cadre of cohorts on the DC Comics News weekly podcast, a aggregate of all of the DC Comics-related movies, television, streaming, comics, and other news each and every week. You can find me along with Steve J. Ray, Kelly Gaines, and Mr. Brad Felicki. And because we're still and always trying to offer you great new content, I'm going to encourage you to check out the newest edition, I Am The Night, hosted by my good friend Mr. Steve J. Ray, an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, told, shared by fans who love the show, love its impact, its influence, and looking back on all the wonders it gave for us. Don't miss that. 
upcoming episodes of the Spinner Rack or the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network by making sure that you rate, review, and of course subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And that brings this episode number 50 to a wonderful close. I know a lot of us are taking time together indoors. I hope this is something you can use to enjoy that time. And I'll also encourage you to use those handles we provided to let us know where, how, when you're listening to the spinner rack at home, on headphones, blasting from your sound system, a stack of comics to read along with, or however you're experiencing not only the DC Comics News Spitter Rack, but the rest of the shows here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. We know how valuable this time is to share and care together. We are happy to do it with you. In the meantime, until next time, as always, read more comics. Thanks so much, folks. I'm Seth Singleton. I am out of here. Look forward to joining you next time. Until then.